Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and I'm excited to be joined by my friend Brandon Anderson, who is a fellow sports junkie, fellow basketball aficionado, and uber contributor to Medium.com. And Brandon and I have collaborated on a few things as writers on Medium, so I was glad to bring him on to the podcast as we stare right at the tip-off of the 2019-2020 season. So with that introduction, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to finally jump on here, and it's it's exciting week, NBA tipping off, and my Vikings get a free win on Thursday night against your Redskins. That's uh, it's a good start. Good good place to be. I'm glad somebody's happy about the way this week is going to unfold in that capacity. So <laughs> as you got from that teaser, um, Brandon's a Minnesota Vikings fan. We'll get to that in a second. But what we want to do for our NBA preview talk is we're going to kind of go into a few teams each that we find intriguing for the purposes of the 2019-2020 NBA season. And when we say interesting or intriguing, it could be they're interesting because they're going to be a really good team. That's obvious. They could be interesting because they're going to fall short of expectations. They could be interesting because they're built well, or they could be interesting because they have interesting guys. Whatever we find intriguing, we're going to go with that. And then, as we mentioned a little bit, um, given that Thursday night's Redskins, the Redskins are playing the Minnesota Vikings, thought it'd be interesting to bring Brandon on to speed in terms of talking about the guys on quote-unquote enemy lines, especially that quarterback who we all love to hate here in the D.C. area, and kind of get his thoughts on how, what is what is the Kurt, and I say Kurt, Kurt with the T, like Bruce Allen, uh, the Kurt Cousins experience over there in Minnesota. But uh, Brandon is an esteemed guest of the pod. I'm going to go ahead and let you dive in first with your first interesting team of 2019-2020. So I'm going to kind of buck traditional wisdom here and and go with the team that has been, in some ways, one of the least interesting teams the last couple of years, even though we've watched them more than anyone. And I got to go with the Warriors here. Uh, the Warriors are fascinating because they're different. Finally, yeah, that we we actually kind of got bored with them. I think if we if we admitted it, they were so good that they uh, made us get bored with a lot of the NBA. Um, it was just it was it was all a game to just see. Okay, well, who are they going to play in the finals, and let's see what happens, and will they be healthy? And that is not the case anymore. This is it's a weird team. It's uh, I, I like to call them a two and a half man team. <laughs> which is probably not totally fair to D'Angelo Russell. He did make an all-star team, and, uh, you know, he's a, he's a quality player, but I don't know how he fits with this team. And I don't know what's, what the partnership is going to be with Steph Curry. I don't know if Draymond Green can play defense mostly all by himself. Um, you know, Curry is fine when he had the other guys around him, Clay and Durant and Iggy, uh, but... I think everyone sees, oh, Durant left, so finally we're back to the old Warriors. Well, no, because Clay is out, and you know he'll be back midseason, but he'll still be recovering. And Iggy and Livingston are gone. I think people just kind of forget about those guys, but they were always part of the core. And uh, I don't know what this team is. Like, on its best day, I think Steph is going to drop like 55, 60 points and we're going to get MVP Steph some nights at least. And I want to watch that. And then there are other days where I think the Warriors are going to give up like 135 and just get run off the court from teams that have been like waiting in the waters for them for years now. So they could win 55 games. They could win like 35 games. I have no idea what they're going to do. Yeah, I think they're the 
you know, they're, it's, they're the biggest storyline or among the biggest storylines of anyone this season, just because, as you mentioned, they were the Titan. Like, they were the team that you everyone was look, aiming for and knowing that they probably couldn't beat them. And now, you know, they're obviously a much, much different version of this. And I, I was the one who said at the time, I was like, okay, I recognize you can add D'Angelo Russell because he's younger. He's relatively inexpensive, all things considered, and he's just a young piece that you can figure out what to do with. But it's just a little bit, I think I made the analogy. It's like, you know, Chinese food and chocolate pudding put together that he is one, <laughs> he is one thing and you throw him in and he's very, very, di- or he's one thing and the Warriors are one thing. I think you made the point in one of your columns. It's like, you know, the Warriors like zipping passes all over their heads and D'Angelo is a very, you know, very uh, ISO one-on-one type of guy. And just how does that fit? And I think the culture there and the the system and the coaching and everything like that is going to be conducive to kind of getting him to play that way. But it's still, like I said, square peg and round hole. And then let's just even put him aside exactly to your point. Like what flavor of Draymond Green are you going to get? Hopefully Draymond Green doesn't enter the season 30 pounds overweight and needing to use his Peloton to get back in shape. But like even that, how much of Draymond are you going to be able to get on the defensive end considering he's going to have to shoulder more of the load on offense? And then Jesus, what after that? Like are we going to really be supposed to be excited by Willie Cauley-Stein, Kevin Looney, and Alfonso McKinney? Like is that well, uh, is that a legitimate bench? Yeah, well, and that's not a bench though. That's two of their starters. Right, know, like, exactly. That's right. one of those guys at their center. And actually, as of I think yesterday, Alfonso McKinney is not on the team anymore. They cut him because they wanted to keep Marquise Chris around, who is probably their opening day center because Looney and Cully Stein are injured. So Marquise Chris, that Marquise Chris, yeah. starts opening day center, and then they don't even—they literally don't have a small forward. Like, I guess it's Clay when he comes back and small forward, shooting guard, or whatever. But for the meantime, it's like Glenn Robinson Jr. or Alec Burks or what are they doing? Like, it, it's when I say like two and a half man team, I mean it. Like, it's they, 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 you know, it's like, well, maybe they can buy out Vince Carter at the deadline or, you know, that's there are other guys who will probably get bought out and play on this team eventually if they're still relevant then. Uh, but it's just what what should the Warriors do? You know, should they it feels like they just should take the foot off the gas pedal. And if Steph just happens to be Steph that night, then put on a show for the fans. And otherwise, like let let D'Lo grow, let Steph and Draymond kind of rest and have a year to recover after like five straight years of a hundred games and let Clay take the year off. And if you happen to, you know, the the West is brutal. A lot of other teams are going to lose a lot of games too. So if you get to March and Clay's passing all the tests and looking good to go and the Warriors are in the hunt, then absolutely, now go for it. And now I want to see the Warriors in the playoffs and nobody else is going to want to play them then because you just never know. It, we, we, no one has beaten the Steph, Clay, Draymond core of Warriors except it took – every confluence of events for one Cavs team to do it three games in a row. Otherwise we don't know how that, you know, like that's why this team is so interesting. I think it just, it, it can be anything or it, it could be really bad. Like it, it could be a bottom 10 defense and an offense that whenever Steph is off the court is just atrocious. And I don't even know if they're a playoff team. It's, it's, 
really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, they feel almost like a bizarro, I hate to say this, but like a bizarro Blazers in that they're all backcourt and then hope to God for everything else. And maybe not this, the recent version of the Blazers, but like the first first permutations of the of the Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum pairing. But yeah, I would not be the slightest bit surprised. I would be just as surprised to see them make the playoffs if I, as I would be to not make the playoffs, like if that makes any sense, because it's very much a, a coin flip between either side. And I um, I don't know how much of everyone, like there's the whole myth thing that everyone's going to kind of bring their A game against the Warriors every single evening because they want retribution for getting their ass kicked so many years. And I, I mean, maybe I don't see it that way. I think people are going to realize that this is not the same permutation of the Warriors that, you know, was winning X number of games every single year. I mean, it might be nice, but it's like you're beating up on a guy who's 20 years past his prime, so to speak. Yeah. So I don't know about all of that, but I, I think it's much more about the fact that the West is just so damn loaded, as you said, that there's just so many good teams that like every single night is or every single week is a gauntlet of good of you know competitive basketball, at least within the conference. Yeah, I mean, I just think uh, other than like uh, maybe Memphis or Phoenix, even then Golden State at Phoenix, Golden State at Memphis. Like that last year, that was like, why even bother t- tuning in? It'll be a 20-point lead by the second quarter. This year, that's not a sure win anymore. And it's like with this Warriors team, there there aren't more than like five or six opponents where you're like, oh, Warriors-Cavs, that's a win. But there's there's just not too many other teams like that. Their margin has grown so or so so much smaller now. And... Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, to your point, like imagine the Warriors trying to play like a Memphis team with John Morant and uh, and Jaron Jackson. Like those guys are going to make a run and like they're going to make them work for that. Like that's not a walk in the park in any other year because of the Warriors talent level. Yeah, like it's fine. They can overcome the two kids like that. But I mean, this year, man, they're going to run them. And I'm not saying they're going to beat them by any stretch, but at least it's something as opposed to what it was in years past. Yeah, for sure. They'll, they'll be a team to watch. All right, who's on your list? So I'm going to go with your two and a half men theory from a segue, and I'm going to use the Dallas Mavericks because this team is another two and a half men team. I just happen to absolutely adore the two guys in Luka Doncic, obviously, but more so, even more so Kristaps Porzingis. Um, I've always been a big proponent that modern medicine is incredible. We, while I do believe one of my big sports theories is that you're never quite the same guy after you get a major injury the first year back. It always takes you one additional year back. It's always the year after the year that you return. Um, I, I still think that the best thing that Porzingis did was shut himself down and not play for the god-awful Knicks for the second half of last year and buy himself that extra time and be peak himself coming into this season. And I love the video, the the pictures of him floating around looking like a uh, Latvian Ivan Drago during the off season with like him uh, being all yoked up. But man, I just, uh, between him and Luca, there's such complimentary players. They're again, lengthy wings who can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, not like the wings. I mean, Zinger's not a wing, but he can play like a wing player. And it's just the question yeah. with him is that what happens after that? Because now you're looking at the likes of, you know, DeLon Wright and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dwight Powell as the rest of the starting five. And that's, it's borderline gag worthy. I get that Rick Carlisle can kind of cover up a lot of these, these, these uh, shortcomings. And Luca is one of those guys who can set the table with pretty much anybody. I mean, borderline me and you. But um, I think that's, <laughs> I think it's just it, though the two of them I think it's just going to be so much fun to watch because I think they have complementary yet adaptive skill sets that are just going to um, they're going to grow as they kind of as their chemistry builds. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, they're going to be a fun team to watch. I, I have always been a Kristoff skeptic, but it's it's been partially because he's a Nick, and I just don't really – it's it's not a grain of salt. It's like a pillar of salt when you come to the Knicks. And now that he's on a real team with a real coach and a real system and doesn't just get to, like, jack 20 mid-range shots a game because why not? That's what Melo did, and it's what we do in New York. Like, now we get to see him – with a coach and a real system. And I think too, with Porzingis, something that has changed since the last time we saw him is there is a new NBA role now. And I think Porzingis was made to play it. And it's the Brooke Lopez role. You know, we, we have, we now know that we can play a center where they are a rim protector on defense, which Porzingis has always been able to do well. And then you get to play as a wing on offense, like you said, and like, be seven feet and shoot threes over dudes. And and not that that's the only thing that Porzingis can do. He can do more than that, more than Lopez for sure. But I think I'm really curious to see, like, will he get used in that capacity? And in, in preseason, he was taking like eight or nine threes a game. And a lot of times you don't want that seven footer taking so many of those. But Porzingis is that good of a shooter. I, I think I do want him taking all of those because well, how are you going to defend this team when Porzingis is pulling your center away from the rim 30 feet out, and now you've got Luka running pick and rolls, and you've got Dwight Powell diving to the rim, and you've got you know a bunch of other shooters on the team. Seth Curry, who was one of the top 10 shooters the last few years, uh, spotting up. And uh, to your point, the guys like DeLon Wright and Seth Curry, uh, they're not exciting, but I think that Dallas – consistently does a really good job of putting guys in exactly the roles that they're good at. And DeLon Wright is a really good defender. And I think he's going to play really well next to Luca and take some of that defensive pressure off of him um, just to, to save a little energy on that end. And Curry's the knockdown shooter they need. Maxi Claver is one of my favorite kind of random role players. And especially next to Porzingis, both of those guys can shoot and defend and give Dallas, like, a legit five-out offense. And, of course, Boban. Like, Carlisle's going to use Boban. Carlisle's going to use him. You know, he's going to come in and just, like, eat against some teams. And it's a fun team for sure. Yeah, I I, I love the way they're composed. Um, Maxie's definitely another guy that basketball nerd Twitter has grown, uh, has has an affinity for. So, you know, it'll be fun to see that. Um, Yeah, who do you have next on your list? So another team I'm really interest, intrigued by is the Utah Jazz. And I think – so that's a team that, you know, when we got to something like June 20th or 25th or whenever that Conley trade happened, I feel like the Jazz would have been, you know, top three choice on, on these lists of, of league pass rankings and most interesting. And then free agency happened and the entire league blew up and the Clippers happened and the Lakers happened – and, you know, the Sixers happened, and all of those teams are interesting. But the, the Jazz kind of just did their thing and kept continuity in some ways, but then made big changes in other ways. And uh, I'm excited for Mike Conley to be relevant again. Uh, I've missed him. <laughs> and it's great to see him get another chance on, on a team that's, you know, a couple years overdue. But I'm really intrigued to see what does Conley look like with with Donovan Mitchell? Or, or what does Mitchell look like with Conley, really? 
uh, but really both of them. You know, Conley, I hadn't thought about this way until I was writing a, a column recently, but Conley has never played with a wing anywhere nearly as good uh, as Donovan Mitchell. You know, he was pairing up with, like, Courtney Lee and Tony Allen. And Tayshaun Prince. <laughs> yeah, you know, who are, you know, fine players, good defenders that are that are balancing things out. But, I mean, to that end, like, Joe Ingles is a better player than all three of those guys. Joe's great. And uh, I think Mitchell is going to have a, a learning curve. He's going to be not the guy on offense anymore, or at least not the only guy. And he's going to have to be a little more careful with his shot selection, but that's a good thing. That means more efficient offense. You've got Bojan Bogdanovich just spotting up for just wide open threes in the corner. Conley, I think, is a really good fit with Mitchell because, you know, he's at the older stage of his career where he's he's not going to worry about, oh, it's my turn to take the shot or it's my turn to initiate the offense. Like, give the ball over to Mitchell and Conley is useful off the ball. He can shoot. He can he can go do stuff that Ricky Rubio can't do and and be useful in offense. Um, and I, I think it's a really good, really interesting team. Actually, part of why they're on my interesting list, though, is because my spidey senses are going off on this team, and I worry a little bit about them, too. I'm I, it's a really interesting team, but I'm not totally sold on them being that title contender that people are kind of grouping them into. So where are you at on the Jazz? I think I think I, there's a couple of great points that you hit on. I think they're going to be a really, really good regular season team. I do worry about what's how far can they go in the playoffs when it's really crunch time because I've always been the proponent of if you have one superstar – I actually kind of call it the Derrick Rose theory back when under the Tibbs thing, when like when the Heat would play the the Bulls and the Bulls were the better, quote unquote, better regular season team. And before Jimmy Butler really emerged on that team, they'd all clamp down on Derrick Rose and they're like, beat us with anybody else besides him. I dare you. And I think I've always been wary of teams like that, that if everyone clamps down that, all right, I'm going to make Donovan Mitchell either make him take bad shots or just not let him be Donovan Mitchell beat me with someone else. And I think that's where the jazz are going to fall short because we, we've had Boyan at least for a cup of coffee in Washington. He was not nearly the same player, but Boyan's not a primary score. He's, he can get hot in spurts, but he's definitely not someone who's going to carry the offense for prolonged periods of time. And I think the rest of them are just built with this grit and grind mentality, not to use the borrow the Memphis term. So I agree with that perspective, but I also, I've always been a little skeptical of Donovan Mitchell because I felt like he was, he was getting, like he was excellent in his rookie season, no two ways about it, but he was developing into a little bit of a chucker for bad shots. And the point you made about Conley not only being a great fit for him, but also being a grown-up in the sense that he's not necessarily looking to establish himself as a premier player. And I think just the wisdom that he can impart as a as an as the old man, so to speak, as um, as a v- mature veteran who can kind of teach him the ropes and like teach him how to what it means to orchestrate an offense as opposed to just be the offense himself. I think that's an invaluable thing that Conley is going to bring, in addition to the experience and the leadership as a whole and the defensive mentality that he's developed over the years in Memphis. So I, I but I, I think the big thing for them is that. One, you go through the top five that we've kind of touched on, not even to mention Rudy Gobert. And then two, when you get down to the bench, like, you know, there's Uncle Jeffy and Dante Exum and, and Royce O'Neal. And like, <laughs> I, I just don't know how much you can really expect a deep playoff run with those types of guys like that. Yeah, so Mike, yeah, I share a lot of those same concerns. 
you know, the bench concerns and what will the, the real crunch time offense look like. For me, the, the bigger concern almost is actually the defense. You know, that's been the team identity for all these years. And you've got the two-time, I think, two-time defending defensive player of the year, right? I, I, I think Gobert's. two times. Yeah, and, and I don't know. You know, defense is a team game, and Gobert is the guy you want at the heart of the defense. But uh, as much as Bojan and Conley are going to help the team offensively, Rubio and Favors were really good defenders, and it, there's going to be a serious drop-off there. And uh, Mitchell is going to have to do a lot more defensively. And Ingles is a quality defender, but he, he's, he can't be the team's second-best defender. It's not going to go well. And um, I worry a little bit about Gobert as well. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, at the basketball reference on him. So here's Gobert's games by season. So last year he played 81, before that 56, before that 81, then 61, before that 82, then 45. So worry about breaking so, down. Yeah, you know, he played a full season last year, plus a playoff run, not much of one, but he played playoffs. And then don't forget, he just played the full FIBA tournament in China and, and took France on a long run there too. And... I don't think that Utah can can handle like a 25 games missed by Gobert season. Uh, like I, I think if Gobert, you know, any player misses games, we got load management. I'm not saying like, oh, what if he only plays 70 games? He's only going to play 70. Like that's probably the max. But what, what if he misses like a six week period or something? And he's had a history of doing that. I, I think Utah's defense just turns awful in those weeks. Like, and the West is tough and. I could see Utah going like four and sixteen in a really rough stretch without him. Yeah, that, that um, things could get really ugly if he's out for a prolonged period of time because I think they they become a little bit of a house of cards without that anchor to kind of prop everything up. Yeah, I, I think Utah with everyone healthy, I think Utah is a, a really good regular season team at least. I, I think that they're probably still a top five defense just because Gobert is that good. I think they might even be a top 10 offense. And so probably they're good enough in the rest of those games. But the, the Gobert question mark in the defense makes me, at the very least, I, I'm not including them in my group of West playoff locks. They are a playoff team for me, but I, I can see a world where Utah doesn't even make the playoffs. I can't see a world where they make the finals. Like I, I would sooner bet on them to miss the playoffs than to make the finals for sure. Wow, come out with a hot take that the Jazz could be on the outside looking in. So you got some people talking dark horse number one seed, and you're coming on the opposite end. I, I love it. Yeah, I just think there are some some problems there with how they've built the team, and uh, I'm curious how the defense. You, know, you, you want to get the offense, and you want to get the shooting and the spacing, but I just wonder what they sacrificed to get there, and, and did they sacrifice too much? So I'm going to hop to the other end on my one of my interesting teams, um, to the other conference, I should say. And this is a little bit of a low-hanging fruit, but I just wonder what does the future of this team look like, both immediately, I should, what does this team look like both immediately, but more importantly in the future? And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so Giannis Adenokounmpo is just un-effing believable. He's incredible. There's no two ways about it. But the, going back to what I was saying about the Jazz in a little bit, um, or, or just any team that's kind of built on one man, it's like Giannis is incredible. No two ways about it. But then what? 
we both know and we both agree that they grossly overpaid Chris Middleton, Middleton because that's what the market dictates and we get it. But is a team with a starting five of Eric Bledsoe, Wes Matthews, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, and Giannis, what is that? And when you have, okay, fine, Corver, like George Hill, they're like, well, we got to bring back George Hill. But George Hill was like, he's just kind of one of those guys that gets hot in the playoffs. But if you're expecting him to do things in the regular season, I think you're grossly overcalculating that type of thing. And then you, you got Kyle Korver who's gotten re- reunited with Budenholzer, and that's great. Um, Sterling Brown, he could become a, you know, get significant minutes, great. But you're now looking at a top of the East that could be slightly better given one of the team that who I actually think will finish with the number one seed. And then you have Boston, which addition by subtraction with Kyrie Irving, we'll have to save that conversation <laughs> for another day. Subtraction by addition by subtraction, addition by subtraction. Yes. There you go. <laughs> um, with Kyrie Irving. And it's like, did this team get better? Right. And I, I, I'm actually under on their, uh, on their over under I think They're over under right now. It's like 56, 57. I think they're going to be slightly under that even in the Eastern conference, just because, Okay, is Gian, it's going to be standing around and Giannis do amazing things, and then everybody else is going to kind of figure it out, hopefully. Yeah, so I share a lot of your concerns on Milwaukee. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, I'm looking at, like, the depth chart. Like you said, Wes Matthews. Wes Matthews is a starter on this team. Exactly. Like, the, the, who who even knows what team Wes Matthews has been on the last couple of seasons? And, and then George Hill and Korver and Ersan Ilyasova, like, these are good quality players, or at least they were good quality players. Um, I think they can contribute something now. They're all good shooters. But what, where I'm at with the Bucks is I actually think that while we're both right about our concerns, I think that we're going to forget about them until the playoffs. I think this is a really good regular season team. I think they're going to have the best record probably in the NBA. I think they might get to 58, 60 wins again, um, unless there's not really a push to get there. But I think, um, for, for one thing, I think Giannis is the favorite to repeat for MVP. I mean, the betting odds, he is the favorite, but I think that he's my pick. Um, Giannis actually, I think his numbers are going to go up you know, in a scary way this year because last year, one thing that people don't even realize is Giannis didn't have to play that many minutes last year. Um, the the Bucks were so good that he was sitting out a lot of fourth quarters. He played under 33 minutes a game last year. And so add in like two, three, four minutes a game and add in just needing to take a few more shots and do a little bit more. Don't forget he started shooting threes at the end of the season as well, which, oh my God, like, like we needed that too. Yeah. <laughs> And that was always my question with Giannis. And I mean, you, you touched on a little bit. It's the only reason I'm down on Giannis is because by no stretch of the imagination, am I down on Giannis, but in terms of like choosing him for MVP is how much, like he took such a staggering leap over the last year or two that like, can, is there another leap that can convince the narrative of we should give it to him again, outside of him just being the singularly most dominant player in the NBA. I mean, what, what, Outside of everyone just acknowledging, like, all right, he's the best guy. Like, what more can he add to his repertoire? Now, obviously, we touched on the three-point shot. And if that starts, as you said, if that starts dropping, heaven help us all or heaven help the rest of the NBA. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do think, like, the minutes played thing, it, it sounds like a dumb argument. But if he goes, 
he, he played 37 minutes a game two years ago, 36 the year before, 35 before that. Like, that's a normal range for an NBA superstar. And if the Bucks are actually a little worse, like we think, then he's going to have to play more. And if he plays a few more minutes, then that will kind of offset what, you know, that will, that will make the numbers superficially look like they're improving even more than they maybe are. So Giannis has been in the league six seasons. His points per game has gone up every single season. In fact, uh, until last year, it had gone up four points a game every season. <laughs> and his rebounds a game has gone up every season. He was at 27.7 last year, points a game, and 12.5 rebounds. So if those keep going up, and they should go up a little bit with the minutes boost, now you're looking at like nearly 30 points a game and like 14 rebounds maybe, six assists, what, what he was at last year, like three stocks a game. <laughs> like They don't need to go up that much to impress people. And as far as the MVP race goes, you also have the added bonus that you know, look at the roster. It's clearly Giannis. If if they're one of the top few records in the NBA, everyone else has two guys now. There's all the superstar duos. And who's the MVP candidate? Is it LeBron or is it Brow? Who's the MVP candidate? Is it, is it Kawhi or PG? There's not a lot of questions when it comes to the Bucks. It's Giannis. So I, I, I look at this team and I'm very worried about them long term. You think you shouldn't be because you've got Giannis. He's under contract for a couple more years. But I get serious flashbacks to like the mid to late 2000s Cavs team where you had LeBron and everything looked perfect for the future. And the team suddenly got really good. And then what can you really do? Your choice is either pay Chris Middleton $190 million, which I think is the real number that they paid him. Um, or maybe that might be Clay, but he, he's he's up there. It's it's a lot of money, and it's way more than he should be getting. Um, and pay Brook Lopez and pay Eric Bledsoe. Um, you can either pay all those guys who are good to really good, but not quite as good as they should be if they didn't have Giannis next to them, yeah. and or you let them walk. And and uh, like they're doing the thing that the Cavs did, where it's like, well. We have to keep LeBron happy, so we've got to sign all the guys and keep the team around and show them that we're willing to invest in the team. But then by doing that, they're getting them, they're digging further and further into this salary hole, and they don't really have a way to make the team better. Um, they've, they've traded away picks, and they don't have too, too much interesting youth. Bledsoe doesn't seem like he even works in the playoffs, and... Uh, I just really worry, for Bucks fans' sake, I think that they should hope that Giannis does not win an MVP, that maybe the team takes a bit of a step back in the regular season. My worry would be, what if they win 60 games? What if Giannis wins MVP, and now they go out in the playoffs with all the expectations and don't even make the Eastern Conference Finals? Maybe they get upset by Boston or someone. Um, or they make it, and then they just get like completely crushed by Philadelphia, which I think is in play because I think it's a tough matchup for them. Now you've got Giannis looking around and saying, okay, I'm locked into this team. Everyone is, is paid for years, and everyone is old and getting older. And if this is my ceiling, why am I staying in Milwaukee? And, and then you're only a year away from the exit, and then you got all the Anthony Davis timeline trade talks, and 
I think all of that is in play. And I think, I think it's going to be a conversation that only grows as we get closer. And that's the other part that I, I, I think is the, the underrated subplot that I'm a big proponent of the, 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 the black cloud theory where like when you've got this overlying question that hangs over your head constantly, it's constantly a question, it's constantly talked about, and it just kind of seeps into the ecosystem of your team. And that whole question of like, Giannis, are you going to stay? Giannis, are you going to stay? Is he going to be a free agent? What does the rest of the team look like around him? I think that just tends to kind of mix into the into the chemistry experiment that a team happens to be and like exactly to your point that if he has another transcendent season and they let's say they don't make it past the second round that just becomes a more quote-unquote toxic culture or toxic situation not in the sense that it's toxic but it just you're adding you're adding more pressure onto yourself you're adding more adding worse juju into the system um and 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 exactly to your point about the Cavs and the first permutation or even the second permutation, it's like, man, the la- the worst thing you can do is uh is go throw two first round picks at Timofey Mozgov to try to keep him around because like that's that's just gonna make the situation a lot worse. So it's kind of yeah, it's it's just interesting to see. And I don't think to your point, the way this team is constructed, you have I don't think you really have a clear path to the Eastern Conference like championship, let alone an NBA championship. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. Uh, you know, my article today I did was I tried to look at one interesting five man lineup for each team. And when I got to the Bucks, I was looking, and their roster won't be the same when it gets to April. You know, they'll 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 trade someone, they'll get a buyout player or something. But I tried to look and think, okay, it's June. The Bucks are in the finals, and it's a tie game with three minutes left. Who am I putting out there? And I struggled. I, I had a hard time picking a five-man lineup. I, I couldn't find three other guys I wanted to go with Middleton and Giannis out there. And that's a problem. You know, if, if you can't find that lineup now, then it's only going to get worse as the season goes on. And uh, I think that it's a, there, there are flaws there. And I think the conversation is just going to grow. Yeah, it's, it's Giannis and help us Jesus, help us Tom Cruise. Because that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's all there is. Um, who do you have on your next, next on your list? Yeah. So I'm going to have to go a little bit Homer here. So I live in Chicago or Aurora, but Chicago suburbs. And for the first time in like 18 years since I've been out here, the bulls are finally interesting and fun again. Uh, maybe not the first time, you know, we, we had the Tibbs years. We, we ground some, grinded some dudes, dudes knees into sawdust. Um, you know, poor Lou all day, man. Yeah, poor Lou Aldang and Derek Rose and Joakim Noah and soon enough Jimmy Butler. You know the the list goes on. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Timberwolves fan, so the list has come home to to my other team's fandom as well. But Chicago, I think this is a different team. Uh, everything has turned over, and it's been a rough stretch. And I, I think finally this is a team that is a team to get excited about. I think even it's a team that could and and I think will contend for the playoffs thanks to the East for sure. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a young roster that actually makes sense together. Um, I really like Lowry Markinen and Wendell Carter Jr. together. I think it's a really nice pairing. Um, I, I really enjoy when I'm at the game, I enjoy watching Wendell Carter. He communicates so well. And when you're actually at the game, you get to see and hear that how he's, kind of quarterbacking the defense and getting people into the right place and getting the right positioning. And those are really valuable skills that you can't find on a stat sheet. And they're especially valuable for, you know, your 20 year old rookie center to be 
to, to have and to be organizing that way. So I think he can anchor the defense. Hopefully he stays healthy enough to do so. Um, I'm a big fan of Otto Porter. I know that he is expensive and he's overpaid, but thank you. We yeah. appreciate having him on the team. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Ernie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, we, we got him for nothing and a bag of peanuts, and the team was instantly much better with him because, surprise, surprise, Otto Porter is good. He's a good player. He's not a star player. He's not a 25 points a game player, but he does the stuff he's supposed to, and he does it really well. And he's a 3-and-D guy. He's very efficient. He hits the shots. Uh, Zach Levine gets buckets. And, and then also thanks for Tomas Sadaransky. Um, you know, it's I, I think the Bulls did well to bring in to Sadaransky and Thaddeus Young just as, as adults on the team to come and do a job. And they're going to be professionals, and they're going to show up every day and play hard. I think Jim Boylan will really like both of them from that perspective. And uh, I just think, you know, the, the whole team makes sense. Kobe White comes off the bench and adds some energy and a spark and pushes the pace. And I, for sure, it'll be a fun team. Um, they were a really banged up team last year. So the, the health should work in their favor this year as well. And I just think it's a team that, that might finally be ready to, to be watched this year. Three things that are consistent in the D- Washington, D.C. area, man. Politics, traffic, and the sports teams underdeveloping the young talent. Although I shouldn't say that about the Nationals and the Capitals. It's much more so the Redskins and the Wizards. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's bittersweet to see uh, Otto and, and Sato doing well somewhere else. You know, we had such high hopes for them. We, as Wizards fans and my friends who, you know, we go to Wizards games so, every so often and, you know, we pay attention to the team throughout. And, we, you know, it, it was nice to see Sato kind of go from a real nobody to really becoming a true professional, reliable player. And unfortunately, the real fruits of that development are now going to be realized elsewhere. And Otto, you know, it's it's just, I think ever since... Ever since Paul Pierce left, which I always have said is one of the worst things that happened to the Wizards, even though he was only there for one hot season, but he just provided, he kind of gave Otto that real sorely lacking, sorely lacked toughness that was just not a part of his game. And you could kind of see he was on the precipice of developing or like, of like really breaking out. And I felt like if Pierce stayed one more year, that probably would have uh, compounded a little more. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I think to your to your point, the the Bulls are fun. They they have nice, good for them. Shout out to my boy Neil because he's another fellow Chicago um, uh, native, and so he grew, grew up rooting for the Bulls as well. So I I love giving him shit in the years when the Bulls were really bad and the Wizards were competent. And now I think the chickens have come home to roost. Yeah, you know, I I just think the the Bulls are not gonna go out and shock anyone. They're not going to like sneak into the playoffs and then push for an upside or anything like that. That's okay. They, you know, baby steps here. We, we win like 20, 25 games a year most seasons. So let's stay healthy. Let's uh, get Jim Boylan not to be a laughing stock and get everyone on the same page. And it just seems like a team that makes sense together and uh, the pieces fit. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping to get to get to a few games this year. I think it'll be a good team to watch. So, uh, so you're hoping no more mutinies from the players against Jim Boylan, right? That would be good. Yeah, let, let's avoid the mutinies. Let's avoid posting up Robin Lopez 12 times a game. Let's avoid the tankathon for the entire spring where you just can't even bother going to the games anymore. Let's just have a, a real product on the court. Let's get the United Center, you know, amped and and have some fun. 
I got to tell you, respect to the United Center, because like that place still has energy, even when, you know, the Bulls not being a good team for so long. Because like, man, the Capital One Arena, God bless them. You can put, unless it's the Capitals playing there, that place is a mausoleum. Like if you drop your phone on the ground, they can hear it in the next concourse over. It's it's awful. Like it's it's just so bad. I mean, you get dirty looks when you cheer at the game. My my friends will tell you, like if you're sitting in the lower bowl and like you're getting excited about something, like fans give you a dirty look. Like they're ab- they're borderline comatose, and it's it's just nice to see an energy a stadium with energy. But y- using that as a segue, I, I, I don't by any sense want to construe this as an exciting team because even me as a homer, I can't think I can't go that far. Um, I want to get your perspective, and I know what your perspective is, but as an outsider on our beloved Washington wizards. And I think you said it very eloquently of this team being a steaming pile of meh, but nonetheless, just kind of giving me your thoughts. Cause you know, we can talk about it and it's really hard for us to take off our rose colored glasses, but you know, just as someone who watches the league rather closely, what do you think about the wizards? You know, it's, it's hard to really think too much about the Wizards. Uh, if I'm being honest, I, I don't really think about the Wizards most of the time. <laughs> it's a healthier place of life for me. <laughs> um, I, I like Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is excellent. Uh, you know, it was great to see him uh, break out last year and, and take on a bigger role. I, honestly, I don't know that I thought that he had that in him to, to kind of, you know, run the offense rather than just being the spot-up shooter. Um, what, I don't know if James Harden is officially a shooting guard anymore, uh, but beyond that, I think Beal's my guy if I'm if I'm taking a two. Um, that said, the extension is great. I want him on the team. It's only a year, but sure, an extra year is good. Whatever price you got to pay is fine. He's worth any price, and at the very least, it gives him more trade value. It gives him another you know another year to keep him around. I don't really like what it does for the team this year. Um, I, I tend to be in the blow it up mode for NBA teams that kind of get stuck in the middle. And I feel like where that leaves the Wizards this year is that Beal is just good enough to keep them out of contention from any of the really good draft picks, but that there's not enough here to really contend for the playoffs. And so you just kind of get stuck in the middle in like the, the 30 wins range. Um, 28, 34, somewhere in there. Who really cares at that point? And uh, I would kind of rather, you know, you can't trade Beal now until the summer with the extension rules. Um, I might have rather see what I could have got for him and uh, try to bring in a big haul as good as he is. That's the point. He's the best name that could have been on the market and bring in a big haul. And uh, in doing so, tank and, and make the draft picks more valuable for a couple of years. Um, but that's not the direction they're going. So instead, you see what you can develop from the young guys this year. You hope that John Wall is still alive somewhere out there and that maybe the wall Beal thing picks up again next year. I, I haven't given up on him. Um, and, yeah, I, I think this is just kind of a nothing year now. Uh which is it's a bummer. It's, there's just not much to take out of it other than some player development. But I, I'm intrigued by what happens when Wall comes back and Beal is doing his thing and some of these other younger guys are maybe ready for a bigger role. Uh, sure, maybe then, then the Wizards are interesting again. 
Yeah, I, I lots of agreement on those sentiments. I think it was really nice to see Beale become the superstar, using that term loosely, in, in DC when John Wall left, or really just becoming the franchise cornerstone and evolving into that player. And, I mean, evolving into a guy, at least I did, and uh, come, fully coming from a rose-colored perspective, rose-colored glasses perspective, becoming who uh, should have been a third-team All-NBA guy, but it worked out for our finances that he didn't. Um <sighs> A lot of people in D.C. would have agreed with your sentiment that they should have traded him, not by any stretch of the imagination because we wanted to see him leave. I think Beale is one of those guys that he is very easy to root for. There's nothing about him where you want to root against him or like you just don't like him. He's a really likable player more than anything else in terms of both his game, the way he carries himself, all of the above. Like He's just a really good guy in terms of being a transcendent athlete. But to your point, like it would have been really nice to get some assets in return to rebuild this team and really blow up the pile of crap that Ernie Grunfeld left us with. And I can't emphasize crap strongly enough because, I mean, that guy's team-building philosophy was just, you know, cover his eyes and his ears and hope for the best. Um, but the dirty secret about the Wizards especially with Ted Leones, this has always been that he refuses the idea of the rebuild. He only rebuilt it once when they first drafted, they first drafted wall with the, when they got the number one overall pick in 11 or 12, whenever it was. Um, and then he's never been interested in again, like his whole modus operandi, which is kind of sucks to see that that's the same thing over and over again is get me close enough to where I can host two playoff games at home. So I can get a little bit of extra revenue. He just doesn't believe in that entire concept and I think um, that that perspective is frustrating, but you know, Thomas Bryant and, and Troy Brown are fine players, but they're not starters. And I think uh, you're you're bullish on Bryant from a most I think from a most improved player candidate loosely. And then Troy Brown had a nice summer league, but you know, kind of pairing them with Beal, it just feels like you're wasting a player who's in the prime of his career with guys like this. And you know, credit to Beal, he wanted to stick around and that was always his thing, that I'm going to be a wizard and I'm going to see this through. Whether or not he sees winning days as part of seeing it through is an entirely different matter. Yeah, you know, I think in some ways, like the the perfect outcome for the Wizards this year is for Beal to come out and play super well for the Wizards to kind of play at like, you know, maybe a, a 35 to 38 win pace for the first half of the season, make everyone feel good. Like, Oh, Hey, we're hanging around the edge of the playoff race. Beals looking like an all NBA player, Thomas Bryant, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm high on him. I think, you know, he, I think he would be a most improved candidate, except that I think he'll end up being overlooked because the wizards will be overlooked. Uh, but, but I think ideally they come out, they look really good. And then maybe let's say mid-January, Beal gets like an ankle sprain or, or some like injury, but a minor one. And then, you know, it turns into, oh, uh, Beal's going to miss another 10 days with the ankle sprain. And then pretty soon it's like game 60 and he just kind of quietly gets shut down. Like, let's not put the mileage on him. Well, what are we doing here? Shut, shut Beal down. We know what he can do. He doesn't need any development. And then you improve the team's draft odds. The lottery is flatter now, but you still want a high pick. You still want to lose a lot of games. And, you know, maybe even give the ball to Hachimura. Let him, you know, maybe go for rookie of the year. If Zion ends up missing a lot of games, that could be an open race. And I'm not a big fan of Hachimura in the NBA, 
I watched a lot of Gonzaga ball last year because I love Brandon Clark and I, uh, you know, he was my guy in the draft. Hachimura was not my guy in the draft. I had him as like a, a fringe first round pick. Um, I don't really see a position for him in the NBA, even in the positionless NBA. Um, but he he can score for sure. He's got a mid-range game for sure. In the 90s, I think he would have been like a really, really good fit for that style of ball. Um, he, he feels like maybe a T.J. Warnish player to me, where maybe he can score 16, 18 points a game by volume and shoot well but not really pass or rebound or do the other stuff. But all of that is fine if he's a rookie and Beal is out and you're just trying to do something that makes the team look good and say, hey, Rui, go go perform for all the Japanese media who are here and take 25, 30 shots and, and go get rookie of the year. Great. That sounds like a good outcome for the season. Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts where like, all right, how much of this pick was a business decision for the pandering to the international crowd versus being a basketball decision? There was a lot of thoughts that Rui was a cultural decision because like if nothing else, he's going to be a hard worker. He's going to be an energy guy. He's just going to be someone who's going to try really, really hard every single night. And the question among a lot of Wizards fans was, you know, is an energy guy who you really want to take with the eighth or ninth pick, whatever we ended up having, however we got screwed by the lottery, is that who we really want to take? I'll fully recognize that it's not exactly like there's a ton of talent laying around at that point in the draft. I think a lot of Wizards fans, rightfully or wrongfully, were hoping that you know we would we would reach on um, on Cam Reddish. I am not a Cam Reddish guy. But, you know, there was a lot of sentiment that this is the guy that the Wizards should have taken just because the star talent, I mean, the star potential was there. Obviously, he went one pick after that to Atlanta, which I think is a much better fit given the rest of the juxtaposition of that team. But, um, yeah, I I just think, I think they're really banking on the idea that Ruby is just going to grow up and he's going to develop the skill set and, you know, magically or mysteriously find it, fully recognizing that he's 21, which is, slightly on the older side compared to the age of kids are coming out these days. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to be totally clear, I think Hachimura by all accounts seems like a, a wonderful human being. He, he's a guy that I will root for. I, I, I wish him well. I hope that he becomes an ambassador for, for the game to Japan. You know, that we've got the Olympics coming for Japan soon and it's going to be a big thing. I understand the hype there. And he, his story and the, the player that he's become already is great. I, I wish him very well. But like you said, Cam Reddish was next. I'm also not a Reddish guy. Like when he was out last year for March Madness games, I was like, oh, well, shoot, I guess Duke will actually win now because Reddish is out of the way. Um, but, but he's talented and he's a swing. And I think he has a lot of obvious upside. I don't think it's going to hit but I would have rather taken a swing at that, I yeah. think, than, than Hachimura. And then you look down the list, like a couple of picks later, P.J. Washington, who is eh, maybe similar to Hachimura in that he's a bit older and kind of just more of a sure thing, but, but he, would have, he would have been a starter for sure. The next pick, Tyler Hero, who's been lighting it up in yeah. preseason and summer league. Um, four picks later, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's looking awesome. And, you know, this, there, there were guys, and there were... There were bigger swings, you know, Brandon Clark, my guy, a yeah. couple of picks after that. Um, if you wanted energy, look at Matisse Thibel. I mean, obviously it's easy to go, sure. to, to go, you know, cherry pick like that. But like, I mean, everyone's salivating over that guy. One pick, one pick before Brandon Clark. 
Yeah, I mean, there there were guys there, and, and so I, I don't know. It's 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 way too early to nitpick draft picks. Sure. Hachimura could be great. Um, I, I wish him well. I hope that they give him a lot of chances to score and develop his game. And uh, Thomas Bryant, I think, will be good. I was impressed by Mo Wagner in the preseason, another Lakers cast-off center that started shooting threes and might just be able to be like Thomas Bryant off the bench. Uh, there, there's some pieces here. There, there's uh, Other than Beal, there's nothing I'm going to get super excited about. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't really want to watch the Wizards this year. I'll catch some of their games when they're playing a team I do want to watch. Uh, their guys will kind of develop in the, in the black hole and, you know, so be it. That's where we're at. I, I, it's a loose flyer for Davis Bertans as well. I think he could provide something. But yes, there's there's, Fair. Not, there's not a lot. Of, there's not much to really get excited about. Like the reclamation project of Isaiah Thomas doesn't do a thing for me. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. Like if he hits, great. It's He's hitting for my favorite team. But other than that, like I, I guess that I'm not holding my breath. And then, I mean, you know, guys like Isaac Bonga, they are what they are. They're going to play. They're going to do things. I don't think they're going to do significant things, but it's just something. But yeah. Um, the Homer part of me wants to hope that they're going to contend for the eight seed. The realistic, if I were to put money onto this, there's no way I would actually think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think I just would rather, you know, let Beal do his thing. If he wants to play, you know, 75 games, sure, great. Go ahead and play. Don't get hurt. Anything serious. Don't tear your Achilles. Knock on wood. And, and otherwise, let the youth play roll another year off of Mahinmi and Wall's contracts and just, you know, next year's another year. And I say to get Justin Robinson in, play him at point guard. That's the guy I want next to Beal. God, I, d- d- Jan Mahinmi, his name is Mud in this area. Like that, that contract, ugh, it's among the bad contracts handed out by DC sports teams over the last two decades. It's, it's just right up there. I mean, I, I would argue that it's probably the worst contract in this area since, since Albert Hainsworth. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've loathed... High Albert. praise. <laughs> I've loathed a deal that much since that fat turd. Um, speaking of fat turds, we alluded to this <laughs> earlier in the podcast. Um, I was going to jump in and say, speaking of names who are mud in, in Washington and bloated contracts, yeah. so either transition works just as well. <laughs> um, so... We touched on a little bit. You're a Minnesota Vikings fan, completely understandably so. I am a Redskins fan for reasons that are uh, more and more fleeting to me. Um, and as I've joked with many people around me, that I have never been closer. And I, I, I joke, I'm like, I didn't cry on my wedding day, but I will ball like a three-year-old girl if the Redskins ever won the Super Bowl. But like, I'm getting to the point right now where I'm, I'm becoming close to an agnostic because just rooting for this team is an exercise in futility. Um, they're run by one of the worst human beings on God's green earth. And knowing that he's, you know, barely a decade or two older than I am means for the rest of my life, I'm not going to see a Super Bowl, if not a winning season, probably. It, unless by sheer luck or dumb circumstances or the rest of the NFL just sucks that year. Um, but yeah, so with all of that being said, Skins play the Vikings on Thursday night. Um, so obviously the, the joke in the interconnection between the two teams is Kirk Cousins. Now we were talking yeah. about this about a month ago, um, and uh, you know Redskins fans are taking a, a, sm- a strong amount of glee in the fact that for the first month of the year, first maybe six weeks of the year, Cousins was terrible, and you know the re- you know the, the receivers were basically mutinying on him and stuff like that, and then over the last four years he's turned into the uh, four or the last two or three weeks he's turned into the second coming of Dan Marino. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd quite go that far, but 
I think I think with Kirk, you know, you and I have watched him plenty to to kind of know how this goes. He he turns out to kind of be something of like a litmus test of just like the rest of the offense around him, uh, which is kind of what I've always described Andy Dalton as. Kirk Cousins is like a, a better version of that, which is not exactly the highest of praise. But I, I think with Kirk, what you had early in the year is we went to Green Bay, we went to Chicago, and yeah, I'm going with we, so sue me. And the offensive line was awful in those two games. And the Vikings line has been better this year uh, and better in many games, better certainly recently. In those two games, it was really bad. And when you have a quarterback that has no time to, to run through uh, his, his reads and, and make some plays, most quarterbacks are not going to be good in that situation and Kirk Cousins is not a top five quarterback. He, no one ever thought that he was. He may have been paid like one, but that's just because that's how free agency works. Uh, no one, no one even really thinks Kirk Cousins is a top ten quarterback. He he's a fine, good, above average quarterback if he has the right line and the guys around him. And suddenly, the last couple of weeks, the line play has come together. Uh, you know, Dalvin Cook has been awesome all season and so much fun. We're actually getting the ball out to Thielen and to Diggs. And, and I think, too, beyond all of that, while I do think that Cousins being really good lately and really bad early was maybe less about Cousins than it was the line and the team around them, at the same time, it's a different Kirk the last couple of weeks. And, and this is what I mean by that. So last year... You know, that that was year one of the Minnesota Vikings Kirk Cousins experience. And for the first month or so, I was really excited. So I think week two, we played Green Bay and Cousins led a comeback down two touchdowns late in the game. He had one pass. I remember like dropping over a defender, like into just dropping into the arms of one of our receivers into the end zone for this like final minute tying score. and. He he kept just, you know, hitting digs and feelings with these passes that as a Vikings fan of 36 years, we have rarely ever had a quarterback that can drop in the beautiful pass that Cousins can do. Doesn't always do, but can. You know, we had a couple this weekend that were just like, oh, just perfect little passes just right in there. And I remember against the Rams about a month into the year, the Rams crushed us defensively. Like, I mean, their attack, we could do nothing about it. But when we got the ball, we actually scored pretty well. We ended up getting blown out in the game, but Cousins was throwing it downfield and Diggs and Thielen were just making plays. Somehow, after that game, it's like the entire game plan changed and everything got conservative and Kirk got conservative too. And he stopped taking chances and that was the Cousins that we had up until the last couple of weeks, where I was like, okay, we have Diggs and Thielen. These are, in my opinion, one of the best, like, five, maybe three receiver pairs in the entire NFL, and then we're not throwing to them, or we're throwing, like, four-yard outs, or um, I don't think Cousins is a captain checkdown, but he is a captain safety. You know, he's he's going to take exactly what is there and nothing more. And when you have Diggs and Thielen, you got to give him a chance. And what I've really liked the last couple of weeks is that he's actually being aggressive and he's taking chances and he's throwing the ball where 
oh no, the defense might get it, but our guys might too. And I think that that's, that's the difference that has really sparked this team lately and, and gotten me a lot more excited than I was a month ago, for sure. That's what drove Redskins fans nuts more than anything else over here, that he needed a throwing lane that you could drive a bus through in order to make some of those throws. And that Jay Gruden used to talk about it all the time that he wanted. He said, he used to phrase these like, I would be okay with Cousins throwing 50 touchdowns, or I'd be okay with Cousins throwing 50 interceptions if he threw 50 touchdowns as well, highlighting that he just needs to be more aggressive. And that was something that you could just visibly tell that he was just, he wanted the situation to be perfect or make the perfect read all the time and not try to make those tight window throws because he didn't want to turn the football over. And it's funny to hear yeah. him say that that's kind of, that's that light switch, if you will, has gone off in his head. It's funny and aggravating, I should say, at the same time. <laughs> um, but... And that was the big rub against him. It was always the question here that like, well, he needs a better supporting cast. And he needs a better supporting cast. And to be, I don't think it takes, it's any secret that the Redskins never had anything close to a combination of Thielen and Diggs in terms of our wide receivers. Even when we had Garcon and Jackson, who were really, really good a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you know, Terrell Pryor and Josh Dotson are not going to move the needle in any capacity uh, like those two guys are. Yeah, or the first down marker for that matter. <laughs> yeah. The one guy you mentioned, I think I think among the hype train of this season, which all the guys we talk about and everything, the one guy who surprisingly doesn't get talked about enough is Dalvin Cook. I oh. think Dalvin Cook is spectacular. So let's rewind a couple of years ago. Dalvin Cook was coming out. I want to say it's the 17 draft. That sounds right. Right. And um, he drops to the second round because there was some off the field stuff. They felt like he was kind of running with the wrong crowd when he was at Florida State. And when he got selected by Minnesota, there were a lot of people who said this is the best possible thing for him because he's getting away from whatever, quote unquote, negative influences that were alleged to be in the picture. And the fact that he went there and people tend to forget because in the sports world, we have such a short memory that for that first month in Minnesota, he was really good. And then he tore his ACL, and I think last year was his recovery year, and he was fine. He had spurts. He was looking okay. But as I was saying earlier that you know my one of my core beliefs in sports is that you're the guy the year after the year you come back. And this is where we are with Dalvin Cook. And I I would venture I – would, I would challenge anyone to pull 10 random NFL fans who are not Vikings fans and say, who's the leading rusher in the NFL right now? I don't think more than five of them will realize it's Dalvin Cook and how good he's been, even though unless you have him on your fantasy team, you pay close attention to fantasy football. Like he's just been really, really good this year. And I think that's a really important straw to stir the drink for the Vikings offense. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, obviously I'm biased watching him as a Vikings fan, but you know, a lot of times you see who's the leading rusher. And I think like Leonard Fournette is one of the names after uh, Cook on the leading rushers. Yeah, and I think often, you know, whoever is the Cowboys running back for years. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott is really good, but there's been other names in there too. It's like, put someone in, put Darren McFadden in, and he runs for a 1,000 yards behind that line. And so, so much of, of running the ball in modern football is not about the running back anymore. It's about the line and the scheme and how much space is there from the passing game. I think with Dalvin Cook, it's Dalvin Cook. You know, the, the, the line is, is, has played well on as far as a, a running attack. Uh, they're not so good at pass blocking, but they are opening up holes. The zone blocking is working. The scheme has been good to get a lot of runs where they just get him to the edge as fast as they can. 
But if you just watch him run, he is one of the most entertaining non-quarterbacks to watch in the NFL. And he he makes guys miss. He's got to be up there in, in missed tackles or broken tackles. Um, he he just has these subtle little moves, and it's different. You know, as a Vikings fan, we almost always, for my entire life as a Vikings fan, we almost have always had like one awesome transcendent offensive player that I get to watch. Only one. As soon as the second one comes, something really bad happens to the other one. <laughs> so, you know, we've had Adrian Peterson. We've had Randy Moss. We had Chris Carter. Um, Dalvin Cook is special. And he's not Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson was violent. And I'm talking about as a runner, not the off-field stuff. Sure. Uh, but he, he just ran through guys and over guys. And he was incredible to watch. Dalvin Cook isn't that. Dalvin Cook is just like leaving guys standing there, just grasping for air, and he's getting in space. He's catching passes. Um, he, he's been the spark plug. You know, Cousins is getting all the hype now because he's had the big numbers the last couple of weeks, but Dalvin has got, had the numbers every week, and he's been just carrying the offense. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about it earlier, I think, and, I don't honestly know how many running backs are, are just straight talent. I don't know how many are better than Dalvin Cook right now. We don't really have a good way to evaluate that because there are so many other things in play. But like if you, you know, take take Ezekiel Elliott and swap those two. I know you don't love the Cowboys, but if you put Cook behind that Dallas line, he would be doing great also. A lot of guys would do great there. I don't think Ezekiel Elliott does quite as much in, in Minnesota's system. And I think Zeke is a great runner, but I, I just, I don't know how many other running backs have the, the all around skill set. Um, I, I don't remember who, but I saw someone from like PFF, you know, pro football focus or one of the smart guys on Twitter that early in, in like July or August was had a whole thread on Twitter about how, he thinks that Dalvin Cook is the most talented running back in the NFL. And at the time I read that and I was like, this is ludicrous. Like Cook was really good his rookie year for a month before he got hurt. And then he didn't really do a whole lot that was exciting last year. And this is crazy. We got McCaffrey. We got Zeke. We got all these other guys. And I just thought it was it was outlandish. I, I was shocked that that was like a real opinion that a smart person could have. And now I'm watching what Cook can do, and uh, it speaks for itself. He's been amazing. Yeah, in terms of it's funny the individual talent is an interesting idea. If you're asking me from an individual like offensive centerpiece type of talent player, um, who are the most talented players in the NFL? I very much would call Cook right up there. And off the top of my head, you're probably looking at Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott. Even though I loathe the Cowboys with every fiber of my being, I still have to admit that. And probably Cook. And then maybe, depending on how you feel, um, I'm still, I go back and forth on him sometimes. I just think he's a, he's a really good player, but as an overall total package, Nick Chubb as well. Right? And I know mm. those are all young guys. Yeah. And then I was completely wrong, and I can take the L on this one, but Josh Jacobs has shown me a lot in terms of an overall. Mm, he's been good. Overall running back uh, perspective. Um, and uh, sorry, I, I missed the obvious guy. Saquon's incredible. Another, oh, sure. Another, I forgot him too. <laughs> yeah. Again, out of sight is out of mind in today's NFL world. He's been out for a month. Sure. And all of a sudden, he's, you know, no one remembers him anymore. Um, 
it's interesting to see, especially like the in the quote unquote running backs don't matter era, like this boom of like really really incredibly talented running backs. But yeah, I, I I think you made the point about running behind the Cowboys line earlier. But I'd almost venture to say not to belittle the Vikings in any way because everyone recognizes them that they're a good team and they've been a good team for almost the entirety of the Mike Zimmer era. But like if he played for a more marquee team, I don't think he'd be as under uh, under the radar as he currently is right now. Yeah, I, I mean I think that that's fair, and I think. I think if the Vikings keep doing what they've been doing, then they won't stay as under the radar. Um, and, and I think people will start to notice. And uh, I, you ask me, I think about, like, well, what are my hopes for this team? Well, if you had asked me, like, four weeks ago or whenever it was when we played the Bears, which, again, I live in Chicago, so that's always the big game every year. And I either, I either get to wear my Viking stuff with pride for a week or just, like, stay in my house for a week after that. <laughs> right. Nowhere in between. And we we got crushed. It was ugly. And it was, in our defense, Mitchell Trubisky got hurt. And we couldn't really plan on that. And that's not fair. We had to play against a real quarterback instead of say, Trubisky. Like, that's, like, that's, a, that's a good confluence of events. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, I, I tweeted at the time. I was like, uh-oh, Trubisky's hurt. Now I'm worried about this game. And at the end of that game, it was like, all right, the season is lost. We're, I think we were one and two. We looked awful. And... Uh, it was like, all right, uh, how many games left in the Kirk Cousins era? Like, this is bad. Let's just let's move on. The defense is not going to be able to keep everyone together. It's time. And then things kind of turned around. We we had the whole Diggs controversy. That was probably just a media controversy. And suddenly things are looking up. You know, we uh, I was worried a bit about the game yesterday at Detroit. Detroit has been really good this year. And, you know, I think they, they gave us a good fight. But a big win just in the NFC North any road division win is a tough one and suddenly they're five and two we get the bye week on Thursday so six and two we get the Chiefs after that hopefully without Patrick Mahomes hopefully he can wait one more week to come back because I could use another win and suddenly seven and two it's like oh that's a playoff team and uh, we have played all three division road games on the road so far so we get all three at home in the back half of the year uh, we have a road game at the Chargers, which is not a road game. Um, yeah, I think we really only have – I think the the Chiefs is on the road, which is not as bad as it looked. That was basically a free loss before. Uh, the Chargers on the road, but not on the road, and that's L.A. in December. And then we've got Dallas and Seattle. Those are tough road games, but everything else we're probably favored in. So what is the outlook for the team I think it depends a lot on how we take care of business in the regular season. If we make the playoffs and we're 11 and five and a wild card, the Packers won the division, and now we're the five seed or something, eh, it's not going to happen. Kirk is not going to go on the road and win three games in the Super Bowl. We both know it. It's just not how it's going to go. If we take care of business and the Vikings win 12, win 13 games, get a bye week get a home field advantage for a game or two, that team, that team can win. The Vikings as a front runner, when you let the defense do their job and Dalvin Cook do his job and Thielen and Diggs make plays and Kirk just to be part of the machine, that Kirk can do, especially if it's at home. And, you know, if it gets to the NFC Championship, I think I'm at 0-5 lifetime now. So something really bad will go wrong, I'm sure. But, it's sports. What are you going to do? But get your hopes up. And like you said, the day that the Vikings actually win a Super Bowl, 
I will sob alligator tears. <laughs> like I got the Cubs World Series a few years ago, so that's checked off the bucket list. The Vikings are at the top, and uh, I can't even believe a month ago I would have never even imagined that this was even a playoff team. Uh, things have opened up, and uh, I, it certainly is not the best team in the NFL, but the best team in the NFL does not always win the Super Bowl. I think that they can be and are right now a top five or six team. And if you are a f- top five or six team, if you stay healthy, you get some home games and catch a few breaks, it's now a team that can win a Super Bowl. And as a Vikings fan, that's about the best we can hope for. And you guys, as you very astutely mentioned, have um, it's. I don't want to call it a cakewalk because I think a cakewalk might be a little more difficult than the game that you're going to face on Thursday, than the competition <laughs> you're going to have on Thursday evening. To tie it back for Redskins fans, um, we just came back off a breathtaking zero-point effort against the 49ers <laughs> this past Sunday where we, you know, um, uh, you know, Case Keenum threw for a whopping 77 yards, speaking of stellar quarterback play. And, you know, we, we were retreated the 49ers to arguably the worst home field literal field in the NFL. So thanks a lot, Dan Snyder, for that. But going back to our offense or complete lack thereof, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the Vikings offense and rightfully so. But the Vikings defense, which again has always been the calling card under the Zimmer era, may not be quite as ironclad as it's been, but it's still pretty damn good. And for a team with as abysmal offensive line play because we did our best to alienate our all pro left tackle. Um, it's going to work out really nicely when we play against your defensive line, which uh, has pass rushers, which is a new concept for us because we don't have that. We have Ryan Kerrigan and Prey. That's what we have. Um, Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter are both incredible, so they'll be terrorizing our quarterback, whoever it is. And for any Redskins fan who thinks they want to put Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Haskins into this game, please just pull your bottom lip over your head and swallow. This is the last game that you want to do that again because he's going to get his oh. he's going to get his brain beat in against this defense. If you want to do it anybody else, we can think about it, but not this week, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think this is the time to let someone else take a beating one more time, and then you've got ten days. Now you put in Haskins after this game, you get extra time. Extra. I mean, I don't know what the schedule looks like, so maybe there, maybe it's still not the right time. This is not the time on a short week with, like you said, with those pass rushers coming after you. Like Hunter and Griffin are going to live in the backfield, and the Case Keenum knows them well. He's going to see the plenty of them again if he's the one out there. Um, the, the, yeah, you're, you're totally right. The defense, uh, weirdly has been maybe the weaker spot on the team, which is certainly not what the Vikings season outlook look like. Uh, but the defense has not been bad. It just should be better. The pass rush has been good. The secondary questionable. Um, but you know, Peterson, I'm sure will be motivated. He likes to play old teams that let him go. Um, and who, who knows, how how Kirk will respond in that way. I hope he does not want to have a revenge game where you like that bowl. I hope he just kind of does his job and, and stays out of the way. That's the best scenario for for most Redskins and Vikings quarterbacks in our lifetime. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't say I will be too worried about whoever it is you roll out there at quarterback. Uh, I even I was trying to think if you could make like a Frankenstein monster – and if you could take parts of any all of your quarterbacks and put them together to make the best possible quarterback, like are, are there any strengths that you would take from anyone for that? I mean, you could put Colt McCoy's understanding of the offense in Dwayne Haskins' brain, and then would be okay. 
Like that's a basically our, our sure. basic hope. If you could do that, if you could Frankenstein that together, because the running joke in DC is that, and I'm not saying this by any stretch, but this is what the running joke is. And on Redskins Twitter is that Dwayne Haskins must be a complete idiot who can't even tie his own shoes because of the way they treat him in this offense that like he's nowhere near ready. Now, I think there's a lot of truth to that idea. He only played one year at college in a Urban Meyer system, which there's obviously a learning curve. I think the coaches did him no favors. Um, I still believe there's a little bit of a sense of he has to of maturity that he needs to understand that, you know, and this is the case for any 22 year old or 21 year old. I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly how old he is that, you know, your first job, you still kind of don't really know your true, what your true work ethic is. And you have to be hmm. tutored a little bit to what it means to be a grown up Cause I think we're all idiots at 21 or 22. Dwayne has included. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think the undue pressure of him trying to be the savior for a decrepit franchise like ours is probably a little unrealistic. But yeah, um, this is not the game to play him in. And also to your point about Adrian Peterson, you guys have allowed one rushing touchdown all season. uh, So I'm not banking on a lot for him. Perhaps not. Uh, I I will give you a a stat for our listeners. I I saw that. So the Vikings gave up 30 points yesterday and won the game. It's only in, in 87 games under Mike Zimmer. We've only allowed 30 points 12 times, which is a pretty great ratio, as, as great as offenses are today. Uh, so it's only the second time that uh, Mike Zimmer's Vikings have ever allowed 30 points and still won the game. Can you guess who the other one was against? Was it the Redskins? It, of course, was the Redskins. 2017, Kirk Cousins put up 30 on us, but didn't get the job done. Yep. So classic Kirk right there. Classic Kirk, exactly. He's going to look good. He's <laughs> going to do really well in fantasy, and then we're still going to take the L. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for your time. Really really enjoyed it. Look forward to doing it again. Um, great insight. Awesome stuff. There's going to be plenty of NBA to talk about over the course of the season. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you, guys. And for everyone who's made it this far, thank you so much for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. As always, if you haven't done so, make sure you us, you follow, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, leave us some feedback. And um, as I mentioned, thank you again for getting this far. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.